Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We are continuing our series today on uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, This is part six. We're going to be in this series until the end of November. Uh, So uh, end of November, we'll be wrapping this up. We're just going through Ephesians line by line and walking through it and kind of unpacking it together. Uh, The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. He had started the church in Ephesus. Uh, He had stayed there about three years and then he had moved on. After he left, the church grew and expanded. They started locations all over that area and new churches. And then Paul's writing this letter to them from prison. So he's in prison in Rome and he's writing this letter to them. And so if you'd like more background, we we did a lot more background week one. Um, And uh, you can go back and listen to some of the other messages uh, via iTunes on our podcast or you can watch uh, from the sermon archives on our website. But get caught up on where we're at. Get some of the context. We'll pick up today in Ephesians 3, verse 14. And this is what it says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Um, In verse 14, it starts with this phrase, for this reason. And what Paul was doing was he's coming back to a thought that he'd started earlier. So he started a thought in verse 1 of chapter 3, and he used the same phrase, for this reason. And then he kind of gets sidetracked, and then he circles back around to it. Does anybody else ever do that? You get sidetracked when you're, you know, as I've gotten a little older, I've realized I do that more and more. But Paul got sidetracked, and so he circles back to the statement in verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And that is not uncommon for, uh, for Christians to refer to God as Father, as our Heavenly Father. Um, it was a patriarchal society, and it still is even today, but we, we acknowledge God as our Father. We pray to our Heavenly Father. For some people, that is your go-to word when you're praying. If you ever get asked to pray out loud, and you're like, oh shoot, I hate praying out loud. And then you have a go-to word that you use all the time. For some people, it's Father. Heavenly Father, we love you, Father. We're thankful, Father, for everything you've done, Father. Um, but we understand that Father is an important part of who God is. But when we think of Father, sometimes we just think of... Um, the person who was responsible for the paternity of my life. But really, it's more than that. And the Greeks looked at it as more than that. It says, from whom every family in, in heaven and on earth is named. And we, we go, wait a second. Um, I'm named because I've got my family name. My last name's Massingale. Your last name might be Smith or Jones or whatever it might be. But the truth is, we've got a family name. So how is it that, that, that our Heavenly Father names us, is responsible for that, that we have His name? And what we see here is that in in patriarchal societies, uh, especially in Old Testament Judaism, the father was responsible for naming the child. Um, See, this word doesn't just mean uh, someone who who is the dad, but it really means uh, it has a connotation of ownership. So when we see this, the one who names is the one who owns. Um, we got a dog a couple of years ago, uh, regretfully, and she's still in our house and someday, but anyway, we got the dog and we didn't have somebody else named the dog. When we got the dog, they're like, oh, we've been calling her whatever the name was. And we're like, nah, she's our dog. We're going to name her whatever we want to name her, right? Uh, you wouldn't go, well, I guess we have to call her this because that's her name. No, the previous owner called her that, but we've given her a new name. Uh, and this is what we have to see. In our lives, maybe you've been given a name at some point in your life. Maybe somebody told you you were a failure. Maybe someone told you you were, you were a screw-up. Maybe someone told you never be successful. Maybe someone told you that you're going to turn out just like your dad or just like your mom. And you have accepted that name. But the truth is we have a Heavenly Father who paid a price for us 
through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he did that so that he could have naming rights over us. So he's given you a new name. And your name is not what it used to be. You've got a new identity in him. Uh, there are companies and corporations that will pay tens of millions of dollars for naming rights, for a, a facility, for an arena, for a, a stadium. And, and when they purchase those rights, they pay a high price in order for their name to be on that. And what we see here is that our Heavenly Father's paid a high price so that his name could rest on us, so that our old name would be gone and our new name would be taken up in him. Our new identity would be found in him. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your, your earthly name is. Your identity is found in what your Heavenly Father says about you. And so the world will say all kinds of things about who you are and what your identity is. But at the end of the day, where we find our true identity is in Christ Jesus. He's the one who's paid the price for us. He's the one who says who we really are. He's the one who really gives us our name. In Isaiah 43, 1, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. And he says this, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. The nation of Israel was in captivity, um, and, and God was speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and the patriarch of the Jewish faith, uh, or of, of Israel, the nation of Israel, the, the namesake, was a guy named Jacob. Jacob, his name meant deceiver or, um, or supplanter. It was basically like a, like a shyster, like a con man, and God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And so when he changed his name, he changed his identity. And the nation of Israel gets their name from Jacob. And so what he does here, it's interesting because God identifies, he says, he who created you, O Jacob. So he identifies the nation of Israel by Jacob's old name. He said, I know who you used to be. I know what your identity used to be. And then he identifies the nation of Israel with a new name, Israel. And he said, but I also know who you are now. That that is not who you are. I've called you out into something else. I've, I've named you something else. Your identity is not found in who you used to be. Your identity is found in who you are now. And he, he finishes and says, I've called you by name, your real name. And he says, you are mine. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, as we saw last week, he says, I'm the, the least of all the saints, which is a crazy statement because he is an important figure in Christian culture and history. Uh, but he understood where he came from, but he also understood where he came from didn't define where he was going. And so what we have to do is understand, no matter what my past says about me, that is not who I am when I am in Christ. In Christ, I'm a new creation. I've got a new name and a new identity. And I love that Paul identifies that. And he says, uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and earth is named. Um, verse 16 says this, that according to the riches of his gl glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through the spirit in your inner being. Um, does anybody like being powerless? No? Good. Uh, last week in our nine o'clock worship service, we were powerless. We had no electricity. We had no lights. We had no, and I had people say, Mel, why don't we do that more often? And I said, you know what? If God wants us to do that again, he will make the arrangements for it, okay? Uh, he can al allow us to lose power right before the service, but I, I don't, don't know if we want to do that again. But most of us like power. We want, um, we like air conditioning, right? We, and we don't want a little air conditioning. We want it blowing as cold as possible on us. Uh, we don't want our car to go a little bit. We want it to be powerful. We want to be able to get where we, right? Uh, we like power. We like strength. But the reality is many of us 
us feel like we live powerless lives at times. We feel powerless in situations we come into contact with. Uh, we got friends or family or relationships that are broken and we feel like we can't fix them. We can't remedy that. We deal with sin that we're trying to overcome and we feel powerless against it. Um, there's all kinds of situations in our lives where we feel like we're less than powerful. But here we see that, that we've been identified as powerful. It says that we are strengthened with power through the Spirit in your being. And the truth is, when we come into relationship with Christ, we're given power. We talked about this before, but we are co-heirs with Christ, and we're seated with Him in authority. So if we're seated with Him, we have access to the authority and power that He has access to. So as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be victims. We no longer have to be uh, people that, that feel powerless in our lives. We have access to power. And I would tell you this too. Um, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives us access to the power of God to live our lives in a way that can bring glory to Him. So we have access to power if we'll simply access it, if we'll simply tap into it. And that's what Paul is saying. There's a power that lies in you. This word dunamis, it means inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. And this is what rests in us if we'll simply tap into it. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, this is not a new concept either. Even kids, you know, will talk about asking Jesus into your heart, right? And that was always confusing to me when I was little um, because I thought he lived in the physical organ of my heart. Like, you know, it's got four chambers. Which chamber does he live in? Maybe he's One's like the bedroom, and he's got a den. Oh, I fixed that one up. That's an office now, right? Like, I didn't know. Somebody gets a heart transplant, it would freak me out a little because Jesus is like, whoa, 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 what is going on here, right? It's like they forgot to tell him when the mobile home gets changed. Anyway, it was like, it freaked me out. But what I understand now is it's not really our physical body part. It's not the organ of our heart. Uh, the Greeks understood heart in a very different way than we do. When the Greeks looked at the heart, they understood that there was a physical organ that gave life. Because if you remove the heart from a human body, the human body will die. But they also understood that there was a heart or a core of a person that gave life to everything about the person. So it wasn't just beating heart that pumps blood through my body, but there's something in the core of who I am that gives me life. And that's the heart of the core of me. And, and what the Greeks understood was there's something in you that, that, that causes you to do the things you do and live the way you live. And that's your heart. That's your core. Um, and, and so... Our heart is, is more than just this cliche heart. Um, in, in trees, back a few months ago, we, we did a series called Seeds, and um, it was back in the spring, and, and we talked about trees, and one of the things we talked about was uh, there's layers of a tree, and one of the layers is the heartwood, and the heartwood is not dead, but for all intents and purposes, it's dead. And it's the center of the tree, and it helps support the structure of the tree. Uh, it helps dictate the direction it grows in because the heartwood is some of the strongest portion of the tree. Uh, and what we have to understand is when we come to Christ, uh, we lay down our lives so that we can take up his life. So in a very real sense, we are dying so that we can live in him. And so what happens is the core of who we are dies so that it might live. So what happens is Christ comes into the heart or the core of who we are. He supports us. He directs our growth, directs our structure to help us become who he wants us to be. Now, this is what you have to understand. What lies at your core will dominate your worship. 
So whatever is in your heart will capture your worship. And you go, well, Mel, what are you talking about? We worship before church. We worship just now. That's what happens before you preach. No, 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 no. That is a little tiny aspect of worship, but that is not worship. Uh, See, worship is so wide and broad. It goes so far beyond the music that we sing before I preach. It is uh, how we live our lives. It's how we how we treat people when we walk into uh, Walmart. Because let me tell you, it's hard to treat people well when you go to Walmart. Let's just be honest. That's how you know if you're saved. If you can walk out of Walmart and you're still saved, you know, right? It's real. Um, but it's how you treat people at the gas station. It's, it's um, what, what you spend your time thinking about and daydreaming about. What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time doing? Look at your calendar. Look at your check ledger. Where are you spending your money, your bank account? And that will give you a good idea about what's captured your heart. See, you can learn a lot about somebody by what, where they spend their money and where they spend their time. Um, you know, for us, you would look at our bank account and you go, man, these people really like eating out, right? We eat out a lot. We're busy. We have a busy schedule. And sometimes it's just easier. But even that tells a deeper story than just we eat out a lot. It tells us something about what our priorities are or are not. So there's so much more to say there. For some of you, <laughs> for some of you, you would say you worship your kids' sports. Did everybody just leave just then? I lost half the room when I said that statement, but it's true. You look at where you spend your time and your money, and you would say, well, that's at the heart of who we are. That's at the core of who we are. This dominates my worship. And so what we have to understand is, is Jesus is not interested in your wallet. He is not interested in um, getting an hour of your time on a weekend. He's interested in capturing everything in your life. See, Jesus is ruthless. He doesn't want just a little bit. He wants it all. This is the thing. This is the trade-off. When we give him all, we will get more out of it than we ever, ever, ever give up. So when he talks about heart, it is not just this nice little cliche thing that we talk about in church. It is so much more than that. It is the core of who we are. It's our identity. It's, it's what we think about. It's what we dream about. It's, it's where we think about spending our money. And this is, oh gosh, um, I like baseball. Does anybody else like baseball? There's like four old people who like baseball besides me. Okay. Uh, I like baseball. And nobody has to talk me into spending money on baseball. Like I like to go to baseball games. And so when I go to baseball games, money flies out of my wallet, Right. It's like I got to take out a second loan, a mortgage on my house in order to buy a hot dog and a drink at the Pirates game. But it's no problem, right? It's like it's a souvenir cup. It's worth $15. What? Right? Money will fly out. Why? Because it's close to my heart. I enjoy baseball. I'm a book hoarder. Okay? I admit it. I'm a book hoarder. It's not as bad because they're all on my iPad now. So I like... I feel better about myself, but I still hoard books. I buy books that I probably will never read. It was like, oh, it's $3. It's no big deal. But I'm hoarding them. It's crazy. Why? Because it's close to my heart. I like reading. And there are things in your life that are close to your heart that your money flies out. And it's because of this concept. We can identify what's at our heart by where we spend our money, where we spend our time, where we spend our, our, and our energy thinking about. And that's what's at our heart. And so my question to you is, what's primary in your heart? What's dominating your worship? And I'm not here to, to squash you if you don't think about Jesus 24-7. That's not what this is about, but it's about correcting something that's a little bit out of alignment and saying, hey, what's in my heart that maybe is not a bad thing, but it takes up too much of my time, money, affection, attention? Where do I need to divert that away from? 
Because let's be honest, all of us have some place like that. I do. So if I do, I can guarantee you we probably all do. I'm going to move on from that point. You're like, yes. Verse 20 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, if you were around a couple, couple of years ago, actually 24 months ago now, uh, we started something called the Imagine Initiative. And the Imagine Initiative was all about helping us dream about what God could do through us as a church, um, through what we had in our hands. What do we have that God could do something amazing with? And, um, and what we challenged our church to do was just dream about the future. And we use this as our key verse. Um, and we use that, that word imagine from this passage. Uh, there's, a, there's another interpretation that says instead of think, it says imagine. So it says that God can do abundantly more than all we ask or even imagine. And it's, that's a powerful statement. Um, there, there's um, this idea here. But if we just look at it at face value, it's powerful because I can imagine some pretty big things God could do in my life. Couldn't you? I mean, couldn't you? Don't you have some big dreams for what God could accomplish in your life? Okay, four people do. That's cool. I was, I was hoping there'd be more, but that's okay. We'll get there. I do. I've got some big dreams. God, this is what I'd like to see you do in my life. This is what I want to see you accomplish through me, humbly. Um, but you know what? God's got dreams for you that supersede your dreams for you. God's got dreams for your family that supersede your dreams for your family. Think about what you want to see your kids accomplish and do and be a part of someday. Do you know what? God wants even more for them than you do. Yeah. But, but let's not even stop there. If you look at this passage and you, and you look at this phrase, the, the, the phrase here, uh, it's a Greek word and it's hupe rekena. And are you impressed by that? You should be. That was not an easy one. Hupa Rekena. And the word means the regions lying beyond the country of one's residence. And this is the picture that this is painting for us. That, that we live in this country. Um, we live in, for us, the United States. We live here. This is our country of residence. But God's got something for us beyond the borders of our residence. Beyond the borders of our comfort. Beyond the borders of our habitation. What we know. God's got something more. This is one of the reasons I love sending teams on mission trips. And we've got a, a team that's going to Haiti uh, this week. We're going to be praying for them in just a little bit. But I love sending teams to other countries because when they come back, inevitably they go, man, I had no idea, right? They'll say things like, I, I, I couldn't have dreamed that those kids would love us like they did. They were so, oh my, I just love them. I want to bring them home. I wanted to move there. Because what they're saying is I experienced something I never experienced before. I saw something I've never seen before. And what they're experiencing is something beyond the borders of the countries of the country of their residence. And if we can take this metaphor a step further, I think for us, we have this border of residence in our spirit. And I think God is calling us beyond that. He's inviting us to more. He's saying, I've got more for you than what you're currently experiencing. I've got more for you than in the place than you're li that you're living in. I want to invite you into something greater. I want to invite you into something more if you'll only step out and trust me. And it's, it's not just a little more. It's totally different than anything you've ever experienced. That's what our God wants for us. That's what he's inviting us into. This abundantly more than we ask. This beyond idea. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take us beyond where we're at. And not just 
us as a church and as a body, but you as an individual, you as a, as a family member. He wants to take you and your family beyond the country of your residence. He wants to do something miraculous in you if you'll simply trust him and step out. And the implications are, it's not just for you. We've seen this the last few weeks as we've been talking, but over and over and over again in Scripture, we see that what God does in our life is not for us. It's for those that are yet to come. Um, We talked last week, the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied, but the prophecy wasn't for them. It was for those that were yet to come. It was for future generations. And we see this here. It says that, that God wants to work in us. He wants to do abundantly more than we ask or even imagine. According to the power at work within us, again, it reminds us that this power, this is, it's in you. It may be latent. Maybe you haven't tapped into it, but it's in you through Christ Jesus. And it says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And amen. To him be glory in the church. We talked about this a little last week. I want to remind you, though, the church is not this building that we meet in. This isn't church. This is just where the church meets. Because you are the church, and I am the church. We are the body of Christ together. So it wouldn't matter if we met here or met somewhere else. If we vacated this building and we no longer met here anymore, somebody else would buy this building. A funeral home or a library or a something, they would buy this building and they would turn it. So this is not the church. This just happens to be where we meet. So when, when Paul says that his desire is that God would be glorified through the church, he's not talking about through a necessarily a corporate worship experience. What he's talking about is that you and I would represent God well in our lives. That when we go to Walmart or the grocery store, when we go to uh, the gas station, when we go to work and we encounter a boss who we think wants to kill us, whatever it might be, that we reflect the glory of God wherever we go because we are the church. That means when we're dealing with difficult situations and difficult people, when we're dealing with temptation, that we would understand that we are the church. We're not just people who attend church. No, 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 no. You are the church. There's a big difference. And Paul says, my desire is that God would be glorified through the church and through Christ Jesus. Listen to this, throughout all generations. So that it wouldn't just be for me, but it would be for my kids and my kids' kids. My kids, kids, kids. I could do this for a long time, but I'm not going to, right? Um, This is a little depressing, but I'm going to say this anyway. Uh, Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. And and he says in Scripture that a couple of generations after we are gone, we will not be remembered. Doesn't that just pick you up? (laughs) Doesn't that make your day? All right, that's it. Goodbye. Have a great day. No, we're not going to close with that. We could look at that and go, man, that's depressing. But it's a reminder that we get, as people, we get so focused on the legacy we're going to leave and and us being remembered that at the end of the day, uh, we're focused on the wrong legacy. It's not about us being remembered. It's about making sure people remember the legacy of Christ. But you know what? I I can't, I can't, I I knew one of my great-grandparents. I knew one. Um, His name was (laughs) Great-Grandpa. I'm just kidding. Uh, but I, I knew his name, but I don't know, I couldn't name any of the rest of my great-grandparents. I couldn't do it. And the truth is, someday, your great-grandkids won't probably even know your name. But you have an opportunity to impact them. You, my great-grandparents, they were believers in Jesus Christ. And they raised their kids in the fear and admonition of Jesus Christ. And they raised their kids in the fear and admonition of Jesus Christ. And thank God my parents raised us in the fear and admonition of Jesus Christ. 
I, don't, I couldn't name my great-grandparents, but I can tell you this. They left a godly legacy that's impacting me. It's, it's going to impact generations. So we can be focused on our legacy and will I be remembered and how will I be remembered? The bad news is we won't be remembered down the line. It's okay. We don't need to be remembered. You know who needs to be remembered? Jesus Christ. Let's make sure his legacy moves forward. Let's make sure his name is made famous. Let's make sure people know who he is because people don't need to know who I am. <laughs> people don't need to know who you are. People need to know who Jesus is. And this is what Paul's getting at when he says generations forever and ever and ever will know who Christ is because of the legacy of his work in our lives. That's what this is really all about. And my question to you guys today would be, what's at the core of who you are? What are you worshiping? Where's your identity? Are you still allowing someone else to name you even though God has naming rights for you? And if so, that can change today. Maybe you're a believer, but Jesus isn't really at the core of who you are. He's more on the periphery. Again, you have an opportunity today to, to redouble your commitment and say, God, I want Jesus to be at the center of who I am, that everything in my life is filtered through him, that everything in my life springs forth from him. Instead of being something on the periphery, I want him to be the center of it all. You have that opportunity today. And again, it's not about what God can get from you. It's about inviting you into something and doing something for you. That's what this is about. Why don't you bow your heads? Let's pray together. God, we love you today, and we're so grateful that you love us. We're so grateful um, that, that you would send your son to pay the price for us, to purchase the naming rights for us, to change our identity and who we are. But Lord, although we were born into sin, and that is our nature, through you, our nature has changed. So God, I pray today we would not be satisfied with where we're at, Lord. I pray that not a single person in this place would stay in the same place, but God, let us take a step towards you. Let us see our lives be made different today because of your spirit. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you. Maybe they're religious, but God, they just have never really started walking with you and allowing you to be Lord of their lives. God, I pray today would be the day for them. So God, I pray that you should encourage them and draw them into you. God, I pray for those that are here today who are believers, but Lord, you are not primary in their lives. God, I pray that you'd help each of us make sure you are situated at the center of our hearts. God, I pray for those today, specifically as you're bringing conviction on people's hearts and you're drawing them, God, I pray that you'd help them see the areas that they need to reallocate, some things that they need to move around, Lord, some priorities that need to change so that you can truly be the center of our hearts and the core of who we are. That, Lord, our worship would follow you. Lord, it would be reflective of our love and devotion for you. So, God, over these next few minutes, have your way with us. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, you know what? When you're praying that prayer, you're praying for me. I, I, I'm not in relationship with Jesus. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I need my identity be, to be changed. I, I've been living a certain way, but I need God to change me and to make me different. And today's the day. I need a new name. I need a new identity. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And then you can put it right back down. And you're saying today, Mel, I, 
I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to become a follower of Christ. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Thank you. Over here on my left. Thank you, man. Who else? Would say, pray for me, Mel. Today's the day. I'm going to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to invite him in. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to pray this simple prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I give you my life and I surrender who I am to you. Give me a new name and a new identity and help me never go back to my old ways for my old life because today I am yours and today you are mine and today I am new in Jesus name amen come on let's give God a round of applause today <laughs> guys this is what's going to happen right now uh, we're going to sing a final song together we're going to worship together our prayer team is going to be available on either side of this stage uh, but I would love for you to take just a second. If you responded today uh, to this prayer and you prayed it for the first time and you confessed Jesus as Lord, we're proud of you. We're excited for you. We'd love for you to take just a moment and fill this card out. It says salvation on one side, need prayer on the other. Fill out the side that says salvation. Let us know about your decision and drop it in one of our offering boxes before you leave today. We wanna to help you take the next step in your faith journey. If you can't reach one of the cards or maybe you're watching it online right now and you'd like to respond, you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you and help you grow and take the next step in your faith journey. So again, thank you for doing that. We're proud of you. We're excited for the future that God has for you. Now, if you would, we're gonna to worship together. We're gonna to pray together. And then in just a moment, I'm gonna come back up before we close out. And I'm gonna invite our Haiti team to come up. And we're gonna pray for them and commission them and just bless them so that they can be a blessing to our world. So please, 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 don't leave during this last song. Let's worship together and let's pray for our team together before we close out. So stand to your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go.